it's much easier to dip your toe in the water than what I think most companies believe. Uh, and so they've been reticent uh, about getting started. Uh, and I think if they became more aware of some of these easy on-ramps uh, to get started and start learning that a lot more companies would start to get on board. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Clay Freeman, VP of Product at Evolve MEP. He has an extensive background in the construction industry, including being the Director of Industrialized Construction at Autodesk in a past life. Welcome to the show, Clay. Thanks, Todd. Happy to be here. Well, let's start with how you got into the construction industry and start kind of unpacking your, your history with it. Yeah, well, that, that started, uh, like, like many people in the industry, it was a family business. So my father was a general contractor, and I was uh, uh, doing a lot of labor throughout my childhood out on the construction sites, uh, and uh, eventually uh, moved into the engineering side, uh, and eventually went into tech. Nice. What made you come to the uh, technology side of it? It's air-conditioned. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that makes a big difference too. <laughs> uh, I, I certainly enjoyed the site work, but I, I thought there was so much opportunity to, to try to do things in a more efficient way. And, and I was really drawn to technology and processes that could uh, uh, try to make things a little bit smoother on the site. Yeah. Nice. Well, let's start unpacking industrialized construction. And to start the conversation, I'm a big believer in let's define terms because terms can mean something a little different to everybody. So how do you define industrialized construction? Yeah, well, to me, it, it means using techniques that were pioneered by the manufacturing industry over the last several decades, particularly Toyota with the Toyota production system. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say specifically, one of the most important things is to, is to minimize the number of people involved at the point of final assembly, which for construction is out on the site. We should have less people uh, fighting for space uh, at the site, and we should create higher level uh, assemblies offsite so work can be done in parallel in an environment that is safer and, and easier for the work to be performed. Nice. I like that. That's awesome. Well, why? You mentioned the Toyota example. What about Toyota do you think kind of resonates in construction? Yeah, I think they really mastered efficient workflow. Uh, so much of manufacturing before them was based on a batch and queue type process uh, where people were trying to increase the efficiency of individual work cells. Uh, and Toyota really got a good focus on how to maximize throughput, uh, how much stuff is coming out of that factory uh, at the end of the day for, for a given investment, uh, including minimizing inventory. Uh, so you've got just-in-time delivery, you've got one-piece flow, you've got all these other valuable concepts that uh, that they developed. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, I, I want to circle back on one of the other things that you mentioned in your definition too of uh, having the minimum amount of people on the project site as, as possible. So to play a little devil's advocate, uh, you know, there's the well, we've always done it this way mentality. It's worked for us for this long. It will keep on working for us. Why push back and, and change that of let's kind of scale down and, and get as, as lean and, and streamlined as possible. Yeah. And that, that's a, that's a valid question. You know, change is painful. Uh, but you know, you could say that the status quo was working for us 
uh, thousands of years ago. Uh, any form of innovation created change that, that disrupted some people and some people didn't like it. Uh, so I, I think specific about construction is things could be built better uh, at a lower cost. We could have better buildings. It's like so much of what uh, uh, the architect and the owner loves about a design is getting value engineered out. And then projects are coming in over budget, coming in late uh, all the time. It's also a dangerous industry. A lot of people are hurt in this industry. Uh, we can address all these types of things by trying to move more of the work offsite. Mm -hmm. Nice. So where's the best place for somebody to start? They, they're wanting to go down this road, but they're, they're kind of overwhelmed by the options of industrialized construction. Yeah, and it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed. Most people start to think, oh, you know, I need this factory with a conveyor belt, and I've got all these uh, really cool robots uh, that's just going to require this tremendous investment. Uh, and I would advise most companies to start in a more simple way. Uh, you know, I, I think at the, uh, at, at the easiest starting point, you're effectively just trying to emulate a site under a roof. Uh, and so instead of fabricating an element uh, out on the job site, uh, to try to do it in the shop or, or even in a tent that is near the side or, or somewhere off to the side of the construction site, uh, and try to get the work areas uh, elevated. Uh, at, the, at the correct height for work so it can be easier to do. Uh, and then uh, get the people off the site so there's more work that can occur in parallel. So in, instead of uh, uh, one or two assemblies being fabricated on site, you might have 10 different stations uh, in, a, in a site under a roof type concept creating those assemblies. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, can you speak to some of the, the different options when, when doing this journey? So you mentioned that, you know, kind of the having the little project site under a tent on it, but then there's the offsite and single trade and multi-trade. Break that all down for me, please. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I would say evolution along this process occurs on, on uh, two different paths. So one is <clears throat> going from site under, I would say going from site construction to site under a roof to more of a real factory environment with a conveyor system. A whole different approach and aspect is to layer in multi-trades, and that's definitely where the biggest ROI can come in over time. Uh, doing an entire riser or a rack, so you've got mechanical, electrical, plumbing, and fire protection uh, that is all working together, either under a tent or, or off in a fabrication environment. Uh, that's just eliminating not only a lot of people from the site work, but a lot of trade handovers, where, which is where most of the inefficiency and problem occurs. What do you think is really one of the, the main kind of causing factors of that, that inefficiency stumble that industrialized construction is able to, to help overcome? Yeah, well, I, I think with, with site work, you've got a lot of people working in a dangerous environment. And so you, you've got to be paying attention to those safety issues all the time. You, you have to work in an awkward position quite often. Uh, and if you can work in a more efficient position, not only does that improve quality, but it also improves efficiency. Uh, and by spreading it out and doing it off-site, you don't have so many people fighting for space. So uh, everybody that's, that's been on the site has seen uh, one trade contractor occupy a location when the other trade contractor is still there. Uh, and then you, you've got crews that are, that are fighting it out to try to get their work done. Uh, and if you move that off-site, you can just eliminate so much of that really quickly. Yeah. Really speed up the, the timelines for it then too. Yes, absolutely. Nice. Well, what do you think is a, a myth or maybe a, a misconception that people have around industrialized construction? Well, there, there's a couple of things that I, I hear. Uh, one is uh, 
quality problems. Uh, and, and that's generally from people that have a vested interest in trying to protect the, the status quo. Uh, they're, uh-huh. they're just trying to spread fear, uncertainty, and doubt that offsite fabrication reduces quality. Uh, I'm quite sure that it's the opposite. Uh, yeah. Things that are built in a, in a controlled shop environment uh, with more efficient uh, uh, work areas, uh, you just have a much better opportunity to produce high quality work. Right. Uh, the other thing that, that people think, unfortunately, is that they're going to get instant ROI uh, on the first project. And I, I think that's a myth as well. Uh, you can probably improve the project schedule uh, on your first project, but just the ramp up cost and, and getting people going generally means that you're not saving money uh, in the short term. It takes time to build up the flow and efficiency uh, to, to start really getting a big uh, cost savings. Uh, you get the schedule savings much earlier on. Yeah. Well, let's lean into that ROI measure because I think that's that's a huge piece because it, it can be a pretty big upfront investment. So, how do you start to measure that ROI to make sure that you're you're getting a positive ROI in the end? Yeah, the, the first thing is you have to do a fundamental mind shift uh, away from project economics to factory economics. You know, mm-hmm. we're we're used to this industry of of project economics. Everything has to pay for itself in the context of a, of an individual project. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever you're doing new has got to be mastered and perfected uh, live as you're trying to execute that project. Uh, and you're you're just desperate to try to get cash flow positive uh, and to increase your profitability on that project. <clears throat> With the factory, it's it's very different. Uh, uh, it's uh, terribly inefficient uh, when you're getting things going. Uh, and when you start to make ROI is when you've really uh, maximized the throughput of what, what is going out the door with that factory. Uh, you, you, everybody, of course, heard about uh, Tesla and Elon's uh, uh, production hell uh, <laughs> process. And, and some of that can occur with industrialized construction as well. It just takes time to get things up and running in an efficient manner. And you have to start shifting your mindset towards this factory economics. I need to maximize throughput from the factory before I start to really make big money from these investments. Do you feel indestructible? Well, do you? Then MEP Force 2021 is the event for you. It is the gathering place for industry thought leaders throughout MEP to come together and learn the new technology trends in prefabrication and more. The best part is it's all industry led and driven meaning real people from the trades will be leading the almost 80 breakout sessions. So you'll be getting real life practical examples and use cases to take back and implement right away. This year, we'll be having some in-person networking events in select cities. So sign up today and we just may be coming to your city. Go over to MEPForce.com to claim your edge today and use promo code BTG to get your discounted ticket. Looking forward to seeing all my innovators at MEP Force. Yeah. Well, how do people go about that mindset shift? Because that, it is a pretty radical shift. And if the kind of the fundamentals of the company are all skewed to the project, how, how do you convince enough people that this is that the factory approach is where you need to go? Well, if you start with a site under a roof type approach, you can just put a few people uh, working over in a protected area of a shop or, or even in a tent uh-huh. uh, that is off the side of the shop and start creating some higher order assemblies uh, that can be installed in the job site. That that really minimizes the amount of change and it minimizes the disruption. Uh, lets people to start get comfortable with this process prior to making a, a really big investment in a full-blown factory. Mm-hmm. 
Nice. Well, if we're thinking through on the, the change management side of things, what are some of the kind of expectations that people need to have set at the beginning when they're starting this journey? Yeah, well, first of all, you have to be prepared for things to be different. Uh, a friend of mine uh, once described uh, what giving a chainsaw to, to a caveman would have been like, you know, he'd have picked it up and he'd whack it against the tree a few times. And when it didn't chop as efficiently as an ax, he would have thrown it away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you have to understand that you're using new tools and new processes, and it's fundamentally going to be a little bit inefficient uh, as you get up to speed with that. Uh, but when you invest in continuous improvement, uh, you'll start to see some dramatic increases of efficiency uh, that'll just go on and on and on until you're starting to save a huge amount of, uh, uh, of money. Uh, but initially, you should target more uh, reducing the amount of linear processes that are on the site, more parallel processes that can be done off-site, uh, and just reduce the, the schedule. Get some schedule compression out of that. So I, I think if you go into it with that expectation, so you, you're at a good starting position. Nice. So are, are you a fan then of kind of taking that a bite-sized approach of mastering uh, a part of it, getting good at that, and then start building on from there, getting a snowball effect? Yeah, I think if you're an existing construction company or a trade contractor, that is undoubtedly the, the right way to start. You know, startups uh, uh, are being funded uh, all over the place uh, in North America to, to go straight to the factory approach. Uh, yeah. But it takes deep pockets. Uh, it, it takes some risk tolerance and a lot of preparation uh, to be successful with jumping straight to the factory mode. Uh, if you start with a simple side under a roof type approach, it's much easier for an existing construction business to, to effectively ingest that. Yeah, makes total sense. Uh, so kind of going back into the, the manufacturing principles, outside of the efficiency gains, uh, what can construction learn from the manufacturing industry? Well, I think there's a there's a large number of things. I think focusing on effective labor flow is is a big thing. You know, the the typical uh, superintendent uh, wants to get the maximum number of people out to the site uh, on, on the earliest day possible uh, to start any given activity, uh, but mm -hmm. they quickly consume the available work, uh, which means that the trade contractor, whoever managing manages those crews, have to bounce that team to another project site. Uh, and they're constantly just shifting people from site to site to site. And every time they shift, uh, there's, there's inefficiency in learning the new project, ramping up uh, or, or ramping down from those projects. If you start with the right number of people on the right day so they can work with continuous flow, uh, that's a huge advantage. So I, I think the combination of focusing on techniques to improve labor flow uh, minimize starts and stops uh, and push more things offsite is three of the key concepts that, that people should focus on initially. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the timeline for this, of uh, this transformation of construction to, to start really looking more like manufacturing and reaching that critical mass? Longer than I need to worry about. <laughs> 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 you know, I, I think things don't change quickly in this industry. Uh, most of the time when we're brought on board with a project, it's already late, so we have to hit the ground running. We, we don't have the luxury of a manufacturing company getting to think about a new line or a new production process for two or three years before it's deployed. Mm -hmm. uh, and and we, we, we just got to get things built very quickly. Uh, and because of that, and because we don't have that luxury of, of time for process engineering, uh, we, we have to be prepared for things to take longer. Uh, and so I think this is going to be a multi-decade transition. 
Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, you're probably not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, like Bim, I, I remember Bim, Bim was five years away for at least 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they, they were right somewhere there. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Eventually it became right. Nice. <laughs> One of the things that I, I find interesting with industrialized construction is that the stories that are being told are most commonly of like these big, huge projects that are kind of, you know, almost one of a kind things that they're really cool stories of how they're all coming together, but they're frankly not really relatable to the average construction firm uh, and how that they would start to implement industrialized construction. And so I think it, I think people are trying to be motivating, like, here's the cool stuff that you can do, but it's seems a little discouraging because you're like, well, I'm, I'm never going to do that. So that's, if that's what industrialized construction is or prefab then. I'm out because I can't afford that. Why do you think the industry is so kind of enamored with those those bigger stories instead of making it more relatable to the average company? Well, you know, I think shocking stories always get better press, right? And so that's that's the ones that that get out there the most. But there's a lot of uh, of residential housing, you know, the the duplexes or quadplexes that that are being built uh, with offsite fabrication these days. Uh -huh. uh, uh, to, to some degree, offsite fabrication is occurring on every project, right? You, you don't see people fabricating a duct elbow uh, out on the site. Right. Uh, and so just we're just taking what's occurring already and we're extending it to slightly higher level assembly. And I think that's occurring on a large number of projects. I see a lot of projects that don't make the news uh, where they are using risers or racks or they're putting in a bathroom pod. So they're mixing a lot of the traditional uh, in-situ techniques uh, with a little bit of offsite fabrication. And it's unfortunate. I just don't see those get as much press. Yeah. Perhaps you can help with that. <laughs> working on it, working on it. <laughs> uh, what do you think has more advantage the with the single trade or multi-trade and where's the, the complexities in there? Well, multi-trade is, is by far where the greatest amount of efficiencies are going to occur, but mm -hmm. it's a lot of additional uh, complexity. So, if, you know, if you're a trade contractor that just has a single trade today, uh, partnering with another trade contractor, figuring out the liability of sharing a shop and all these other things are, are pretty complex or, or learning to do a new trade uh, as part of your business uh, is complex. Often it takes an acquisition or a merger Mm -hmm. uh, to really make that uh, uh, to make that happen, uh, but but the, the the biggest inefficiency that occurs on the sites, I believe, occurs around trade handoffs. It's getting one trade to completely finish an area, uh, and then uh, getting the other trade to, to occupy it immediately after. Uh, if you can pull them together and have them working seamlessly in a shop environment, you reduce quite a few of the trade handoffs on, on site, and I think that has a tremendous amount of savings. That said, it's easier to start with trying to do some higher order assemblies on single trade stuff because you just don't have that. <clears throat> I've got to partner up with somebody else or master a new trade type process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. On the the data side of things and looking at the the data flow, how should that kind of go throughout the supply chain with industrialized construction? Yeah, so that's that's a big thing as well. Uh, so let, let's start with design. It, it's really hard to take a design that was not built to take advantage of a lot of offsite fabrication and turn it into one that works well with offsite fabrication. So there's a lot of rework there. Uh, if, mm -hmm. if the design process has this in mind more from the beginning, uh, it makes it a lot easier. 
Uh, it's particularly good for companies to think about having a kit of parts uh, at the beginning. Uh, and I think this is where a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt around industrialized construction kicks in when people start talking about a kit of parts. So they start thinking about the post-World War II type of construction that was common in Europe uh, at that time where people were doing these really ugly cookie cutter buildings, uh, but they were doing them really fast and, and efficiently because they needed the housing. So that, that yeah. really, I think, got prefab a, a really bad rep. Uh, but you, you don't have to do that way. Bryden Woods and, and others doing a tremendous job of showing uh, how you can do nice architecture. Uh, Nordic Office of Architecture is another one, doing really nice architecture using prefabricated techniques. Mm. So you, you need to start with this concept of here's this component that I, I know how to build in the shop uh, in an efficient way. And here's a series of material options that can customize it for the project requirements. If you start with that kit of parts, uh, and then you're using that kit of parts during the design process, then that starts to flow very efficiently into the procurement and shop fabrication process. Uh, if you don't, then you've got to go back and redo a lot of things. You just never get the same level of efficiency. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So one of the things that I hear a, a lot is the the grumbling between the trades and the designers how do you kind of bridge that gap in that the the trades are saying well if we're you know earlier in the design process then we would be able to have a more efficient way to, to prefab and then the designers are saying well we don't really have the kits of to be able to, to assemble that and design it the way that we need to and, and so there's this kind of chicken and the egg thing going on here that both sides need to, to move and meet in the middle, but neither is, is really there yet. How do you kind of bridge that divide? Uh, you, you need to first get the right set of partners. You, you need a, a set of design firms that is interested in this type of process. Mm -hmm. uh, and you need trade contractors and a general contractor that is interested in this type of process. Uh, when, when you have that, whoever starts this can start by creating the kit of parts that is given to the design team to, to customize and, and use for the project. Uh, or if the design team initiates it, then, then they're doing that naturally. Uh, you know, I, I think Bryden Woods uh, has, has done a, an amazing job of that. Nordis, Nordic Office of Architecture was a traditional design firm uh, focusing on a lot of high design architectural projects. Uh, that became committed to this type of process and started to focus on building out that kit of parts. Uh, so if you find the right partner, it's it's easy. Uh, if you don't have the right partner, it's impossible. Yeah. So how do you find that right partner? You know, generally you're you're going to look for firms that have already started trying to make this transition, already started making the investment, or you know, talk to the firms that uh, that you traditionally uh, work with and and find which ones have interest uh, in developing the skill set. Mm -hmm. oh, how do you keep from overcomplicating the process that there's a, so many complexities to it? 
but that kind of defeats the, the purpose of trying to get more efficient if we're just going to add more complications to it on the back end. Yeah, the you know the 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 worst thing in the world is is trying to change too much at one time. You know, if, if you go right off the bat, say I'm going to do offsite fabrication on on almost 100% of the building components, and I'm going to do it in a factory type environment, uh, and we're going to build this kit of parts. And you know, if if you do everything at once, you you try to eat the elephant in one bite. Uh, that's not going to go very well <laughs> most of the time. Uh, we we just saw one major company fail uh, last week uh, that that tried to do that. Uh, if you start Amazing more simply, headlines. yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you start more simply uh, with the side or the roof technique and just try to do a small part of the project, you know, a hospital head wall or an MEP riser or a rack, uh, do one, two, maybe three different elements uh, with a side under the roof approach, gain a little bit of experience and then start expanding out from there. That's, that's just so much more digestible. Yeah. Nice. I like that approach a lot. Yeah. I, I think taking it that, that one step at a time and, and building that momentum is it gets people excited about it and it builds the confidence as you're, you're going through it and you can move a lot faster. It's hard to do, you know, it's really easy to get excited about this stuff and then, and then try to do too much change at one time, but yeah. uh, you, you need to try to resist that urge. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's talk some Evolve MEP. Why'd you decide to, to come on board with Evolve? Well, I, Evolve really looked like the best opportunity uh, for me to work on trying to improve the overall process. Uh, so they've got this great customer base uh, of trade contractors uh, creating these detailed models uh, that are fabrication ready. That's just the perfect starting point for uh, enabling the data flow on the rest of the process. Uh, it, it's a great set of smart people that have deep industry expertise. Uh, and the, the combination of those two things just seem to be the, the optimum place for me. Nice. And for those who don't know, can you speak a little bit about who Evolve is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so uh, what Evolve has been focused on most of the last few years is uh, mechanical, electrical, and plumbing uh, trade contractors uh, creating fabrication level Revit models. Uh, uh, they, they create an add-on on top of Revit that makes it much easier to get those models in a fabrication-ready state. Uh, and, and now we're starting to expand downstream from that. Uh, uh, for example, with the upcoming materials module that'll handle uh, uh, requisitions and receiving materials. Uh, but we're not going to stop there. So it's going to go downstream from that. Nice. And there's a release coming out relatively soon, I, I believe. Uh, anything exciting to tease in that? new release? There's a lot of new things in the upcoming release. So a lot of improvements to the, to the, uh, uh, the modeling for the mechanical and electrical, too many to try to, to, try to list out uh, right now. Uh, but, but also I think this, uh, this material product is the first cloud-based product that takes that uh, bill of materials and, and starts to support more of the process with it. We're all really excited about that. Nice. And what's something that you wish the, the industry knew about Evolve MEP? Uh, well, I, I think uh, number one that we exist, uh, <laughs> and uh, and that we're we're tackling this mechanical electrical uh, plumbing problem, but we're not intending to, to to stop there. So we we really think that a huge uh, uh, amount of things, uh, a, a lot of great tools can be created to make this whole fabrication process easier for many different trades uh, in the industry. Nice. What about the industrialized construction? What do you wish the the industry knew? 
that they don't know about IC? Well, I, I think the the biggest problem most people have is 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 they they see it as a binary change, uh, and I, I wish they could be aware that they could start in a simple side under roof approach with just a small number of elements without uh, significantly disrupting their processes. Uh, so it, it, it's much easier to dip your toe in the water than what I think most companies believe. Uh, and so they've been reticent uh, about getting started. Uh, and I think if they became more aware of some of these easy on-ramps uh, to get started and start learning that a lot more companies would start to get on board. Yeah. So one of the hesitancies that I, I've heard is around the, you know, if you really embrace technology and then the factory approach, is that going to have a, a, a is it going to take people's jobs, which I don't think is true, but would love to hear your uh, thoughts and, and comments on that mindset. Yeah, well, you know, uh, to, to me, any, any increase of efficiency is has probably affected somebody's job. It's it's changed the jobs. Uh, people do different types of work or, or or more of something because because some new efficiency has been created. So that always exists with any type of innovation. But you, you know, I, I think if we can start value engineering out the coolest part of the projects, that doesn't reduce the amount of work. You just get a much better product that's that's more aesthetically pleasing, more functional for the occupants of the building. Uh, without decreasing cost at all, without displacing anybody's job. Yeah. Yeah. I think it allows people to get more creative too, because you're able to, you have a little bit, maybe not more free time because you're, you're going to be taking on more work, but you have the, your, what you're doing is shifting some. And, and so you have more bandwidth to cover those creative problem solving that I think construction is actually really good at creative problem solving. I, I think it takes a hard wrap in it of not being that, but I don't think that that's the reality. Yeah, I, I, I think that is absolutely true. I mean, it's it's an industry full of creative problem solvers, uh, which is great because there's so many problems out on the site today. <laughs> if we didn't have all those creative people, we'd, we'd be doomed. Uh, but but the, the creativity is applied for a discrete problem today. It's like there's a particular problem on a single project and creative people need to solve it. Uh, and they they generate some value by doing that, but if instead they could focus that creativity on a systemic uh, type of innovation, something that that changes all projects uh, in the portfolio, then the, the the value that that creativity is delivering is just orders of magnitude higher. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, how do people get a hold of you and and find out more information? Well, you can certainly email me at uh, uh, C Freeman uh, at Evolve MEP, uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, and I'll be happy to continue the conversation. Awesome. Uh, last question for you. What does innovation mean to you? Uh, to me, innovation just means a, a, a continuous effort to try to make things better, uh, more efficient, higher quality, uh, less time. Uh, it's just a continuous drive to, to try to do things in a more efficient way than what you did before. Nice. Well, thanks so much for joining the show and the conversation and welcome to Evolve MVP, Clay. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, I'm going to start off by recognizing a fact that can tend to get lost with innovators. Change is hard. Innovation creates disruption, which brings about change that someone is not going to like. We need to recognize this more than we do. Now, it doesn't mean we stop innovating. 
I believe through recognizing that we are able to actually do more if we lead with empathy. On a related point, don't feel you have to eat the whole elephant at once. It's a good idea to test something and grow from there. Clay mentioned that it's easier to dip your toes in the industrialized construction waters than most people realize. Ask yourself what the next right thing is and go from there. Finally, are you invested in continual improvement? It is a mindset shift to be successful. Also, it is okay to become more inefficient when starting a new process. In fact, you are more than likely going to be more inefficient in the short term. However, stay the course and leverage your creativity to solve the systemic issues to maximize your efforts. The ROI and efficiencies will snowball and grow. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.